what's up everyone welcome back to another episode of dipped in tone i'm rep i'm zach and you met adam savage let's talk about it i met adam savage so last monday found out that he was going to be at the indianapolis or indiana comic-con in indianapolis and uh, i was like oh 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 no so i immediately called my wife and said hey can we go to indianapolis this weekend and she said uh we we basically have to so yeah loaded up the fam dropped the dog off at the dog daycare and went and then on saturday uh we bought like a one-day pass I made a a put on my Ghostbuster uniform. Morgan put on hers. Graham was not into it, so he wore normal clothes. And I made a beeline for the uh, the autograph booth. And I met him. I talked to him. Uh, I told him about sending him a Positron Collider. He said he's going to feature it in an upcoming video, which was like so crazy. But uh, I thanked him for tested and all that he does because of. Like I said before, like, you know, it really got me through COVID and, um, you know, it gave me something to to watch while I was losing my mind. And he was so nice and he gave me a fist bump and he thanked me. And, um, and I got the, I like, we couldn't take pictures there. I, I got a picture later, but, uh, the assistant to him at, at his little signature table captured a photo of me in complete jubilation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like smiling like an idiot. And, and he posted post a picture it. here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got it right here. I got it right here. There it is. <laughs> Dude, look at that smile. I, I've yeah. never seen, I've known you for a good handful of years now. I've never seen you make that face before. I yeah. mean, that's peak <clears throat> happiness right there. Smiling like a, a little kid. Um, but he was, he was super nice and it was, it was completely worth it. And then I got to go, he did like a Q&A and I lucked out and got a front row seat and got to watch him uh, do a Q&A with, with all these people. And he just talked about ADHD and creativity and um, how like when things go wrong, he relies on this phrase of this is what's happening right now, mm. where it's just, you just have to accept it and deal with it. And he talked a lot about not knowing how to do a lot of things, but he knows how to start. And so if he knows how to take the first step, then he can probably figure out the next step and then he'll probably figure out the next step. And he just talked a lot about that. And it was very um, powerful to someone who hopes that they are creative. And um, it was, it was, it was worth all the effort to go see him. So what, 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 what was your last week like? (laughs) Well, okay. You are creative and you are a maker. Well, I know you're, it did it, you know, that that is important to acknowledge about yourself. Like, yeah, it's uh, it, and I understand where that comes from, like the imposter syndrome thing, which yeah. I've seen Adam Savage talk about on Tested, and mm-hmm. um, it's yeah, the ADHD thing. I would love to see. Do you know if that Q and A is posted anywhere? Because I'd love to watch that if possible. I, don't, I saw but, some people recording it, so you might be able to find it. Yeah, so. the ADHD thing is a very real thing for me because I've you know struggled with it my whole life, and and watching Adam, you know on tested it, it's a very much so a takes one to know one kind of thing like watching yeah. his one day builds and the way he works is really encouraging for me because i can look at him and very clearly say like oh yeah that guy that guy is on some level got the adhd and it's encouraging to see someone who you know has it but is so brilliant and driven and successful and yeah because growing up with it, it that was not the uh let's say the 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 mindset towards it. It was very much no. a disorder and something wrong and something needed to be fixed. Yeah, and get in line. 
Yeah, yeah. and hmm. which did not play well for me growing up. And so it's really encouraging to see someone like Adam Savage where uh, I can relate and I can I can see and like, yeah, there's a place for people like us. And there's a there's a path to success and a path to like working in your passion, doing what you love. And that's yeah, it's awesome. I'm a huge yeah. fan. So yeah, cool. You got to meet amazing. him. That's yeah. badass. Um, things are good, man. We had a good week. The uh, the band Good Trouble. We uh, launched our first single as a band. Uh, I listened uh, to it. Couple- sounds great. Thanks, man. Yeah, we we recorded it in my half finished uh, basement. It's not a studio yet. It's still a basement, and I'm really stoked with how it came out. We uh, the single sounds great. We put out a, a live performance video of it on the band channel. There's now a band channel. If you look up Noah Guthrie and Good Trouble on YouTube, you can subscribe. We've got four new singles coming out over the coming months, and the plan is basically, um, you know we've transitioned to now being a band. It's a band right. situation. Whereas before it was Noah and then we were the hired gun backing band. Now good trouble is a band we're writing together, producing together. And, um, rather than like making a record or doing stuff, sort of the traditional music business way where you make an album and then you sit on it for 12 months while you do promotion and all this other kind of stuff, we said to hell with all that. We're just going to do it ourselves. We're going to make something. We're going to get together write something, record it, produce it, mix it all here in one go. And then we're just going to put it out a couple of weeks later, kind of like a, a YouTube video would be where it's like, okay, here's our idea. Let's make it and let's put it out. And then let's make something and put it out. Um, both a single version and a live performance video to go with it. So um, yeah, the response has been amazing. Songs called Rockstar. You can go stream it everywhere. Go watch it on YouTube. And uh, yeah, it's the first thing we officially recorded in the studio. Um that's awesome. Studio needs a name, by the way. So we're we're working on that still. But. Uh the the shell hut. <laughs> okay, great. That's uh, we'll, we'll, let's put a, <laughs> let's put a pin in that, and we'll re, we'll circle back. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's what's been going on. Right. So before we get into talking about our fantastic guest, first want to thank our Patreons. So yes. everybody who supports the channel, thank you so much. And if you want to join up with Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash, I believe, Dipped in Tone. There'll be a link below. Yep. Uh, but you can look at all our tiers. We have like a, a really um, entry-level tier that just gets you a few little benefits joining our Discord, some higher levels where you get access to things early, and then actually get discounts on merch and courses and mm-hmm. uh, even pedals on my website. So yep. all the things. So go check Patreon out our specific- Patreon. Q&A episodes that go up um, generally every month. Well, we're and working on it. Yeah, we're getting there. We're, we're Listen, a lot of irons in the fire over here at Shoals Industries. Um, <laughs> is that our official name? I think we're, have we settled on Shoals Industries? I kind of like it. Like, Might as well. We haven't filed anything with the government, but we'll, you well, know. Don't worry about the government. They yeah, what do they need to know? They don't, yeah. who are we? Yeah, don't worry about us. <laughs> they got bigger problems. But yeah, check out our Patreon and thanks to everybody who supports us. So and also subscribe. We don't, we don't talk about it enough, but when you subscribe, it really does help the channel out. So click that red button, click the bell to be notified when we've got new episodes posting live. And uh, we appreciate the support. Oh, and I did look because I think last episode I said, is there still a bell? There is a bell. Oh, yeah. I just don't see it because I have notifications turned off for everything. Because if I had (laughs) notifications for things, my phone would would die in about an hour. 
Uh, <laughs> just as a quick aside, as a YouTuber, I can tell you why do notifications matter. You should turn notifications on for channels that you really care about because mm-hmm. uh, the initial response in the first hour of a video going live is really important to the overall lifespan of the video. And so when you have notifications turned on and you click on it in the first hour, it tells YouTube, hey, this video is really connecting with the audience. We're going to start pushing this video to more people. It really does matter. I know it's annoying. I know everyone says it all the time, but it does matter and it does help the creator. So uh, thank you. Yeah. So do it, and we thank you. And then uh, we got to thank – do it. we got to thank do our it. sponsor of the show. we got StuMac again. You can go to StuMac.com slash Dipped in Tone and get 10% off your order. And uh, today we're going to talk about something that I, I'm paying attention to because you know how normally in the – the fall, it's like, okay, hey, it's super dry. You got to take care of your stuff. Well, now <laughs> I'm looking at my humidity uh, hygrometer thing and it's super wet. And so now is the time to take care, get all your guitars out and tune them up. And yep. Stumac has all the tools for setting up your instruments, maintaining them, cleaning them, uh, doing all the things you need to do when the seasons change. And it's something you should do like when the seasons change. You should always take care of your guitars. Clean your fretboards, people. It's, yes. it's something that people, oh. myself included, we overlook, but it's, it gets pretty grody, especially after, you know, summer of playing outside, playing, playing oh, festival man. gigs and stuff. You're sweaty, you're grimy, uh, polish your frets, clean your fretboards. Your guitar will thank you. Uh, and it's specifically the polishing the fret thing is something that I skip over. Cause if I'm changing strings, I'm like, Oh, I'll just do it next time, whatever. But when you, when you play a freshly polished fret, it makes the guitar feel like new again, revitalized, yeah. and it, it's great. And it looks great. You see those nice shiny frets shining back at you? So clean your fingerboards. Oh, yeah. There, I've, I've always heard – now Now Stumac can c- correct me if I'm wrong, but I've, I've always heard that like leaving dirt and grime on your board is actually really bad for your frets because um, it can get down under stuff. And yeah, yeah clean your fingerboard. Um, nothing makes you look – less professional than a dirty fingerboard in my opinion let me tell you something you know that's why originally the uh the reason that fender switched to rosewood boards right it was because leo didn't like right. the look of the maple the uh, like the, the finish wearing off and because it didn't look professional yeah. so uh look professional clean your fingerboards all right maybe we should make a, a shirt that says clean your fingerboard and it's got like a little tech deck like skateboard or something on it. <laughs> yeah all oh, right yeah. intro our, our <laughs> lovely guest all right so today we've got andy powers the CEO and chief guitar designer of Taylor Guitars, uh, which is really, really cool. Um, it's an amazing conversation. Very, very illuminating. The man knows a thing or two about guitar and uh, he's going to educate everyone on some, but like we, we get into a pretty like molecular level of physics here talking about acoustic pickups which i did not anticipate we were going to get there so uh anytime you talk about moving electrons i'm like yeah let's go (laughs) yeah yeah it's i think you're gonna enjoy it so uh here we go andy thanks for joining us man hey it's my pleasure it's a lot of fun yeah it's a big deal big deal having you on the podcast so uh yeah thanks for taking the time that's i'm happy to get to do it nice so let's uh let's start off with a quick you know who are you and what do you do for, for our listeners that may not be aware? What is, uh, what is Andy Powers well, do? I am a guitar maker, guitar player, instrument player, I guess. And uh, I design what we make here at Taylor Guitars. And, and then I wear a CEO and president hat as well. And so you're not that busy. Pretty <laughs> chill the day schedule. gets a little bit full. Yeah. The day gets a little bit full. I mean, 
you know, there's there's a lot of fun things to put into a day between uh, between chasing kids around, going surfing, working on stuff. There's lots to do in a day. That's that sounds awesome. pretty great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's a lot to it that's that's an awful lot of fun. I mean, we get to build guitars. It's like, come on, it's fun and games. You well, know, you it's music. build guitars inside and because you're still in El Cajon, right? Right, right, yeah. San Diego. That area. doesn't suck. No, it's a great place to be. I mean, I grew up here, and I mean, I live, I think, three miles from the house I grew up in. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. I've had a good look around. Went, yeah, I really like where I live. This is uh-huh. great. <laughs> Yeah, I like where you live too, actually. So we we may be out there in a couple of years. So um, do it. T- take us through kind of like how, how did you get into guitar design, guitar building, and then you know where you are now because that's a pretty interesting role that you have to be CEO and chief guitar designer of a pretty massive guitar company. So how how did you get there? Well, my uh, both my parents are kind of what I describe as hobbyist musicians. Right. And so when I grew up, I mean, my dad's a carpenter by trade, a good one. He's a good carpenter. And there was just, gosh, there was a lot of music around. It wasn't professional grade music. That wasn't a career that anybody had. That wasn't, that's not a job. That was just part of life. And so they're enthusiastic listeners. And a lot of their friends, a lot of the people that were around our house when I was young, they were all, they all liked playing music. You know, whether it was three chords, maybe sometimes four chords, you know, sometimes country western songs, sometimes, you know, the Laurel Canyon era songs, you know, it's kind of that Southern California thing where everybody's passing guitars around, a mandolin, a dobro, whatever, whatever somebody has to play. So I kind of grew up in that environment. And uh, my dad being a carpenter, I was around tools a lot. And so when I was a kid, well, that's what you do. You you know, you get some scraps of wood and you go, well, go make something. You want something? Go make it. You want a skateboard? Go make it, you know. And one day my dad brought home a scrap of wood that was big enough to build a guitar with. And so I thought, yeah, I'll try. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> and so that was that was my first attempt. It was literally like, I, I mean, I was a kid. I was, I don't know. We never really quite figured it out. I think seven or eight years old, somewhere <laughs> in there. Whoa. Okay. So I started pretty young. And it wasn't a guitar. I mean, I want to say that I built a guitar. It was not a guitar. It was a guitar-shaped object. Right. Right. I mean, I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't know the first thing about it. I didn't know how to put one together. I didn't know what it should look like, really, other than we had a guitar in our house. So I kind of went, yeah, that's cool. Neat shape. It's made of wood. It's got a hole in the middle. Cool. I'll do something like that. I worked on the thing for weeks, and... I had begged six mismatched tuning machines to put on it and a used set of guitar strings. And I mean, this is like, it was so bad. I cut the points and the heads off nails and glued those in place for frets. It was, it was awful. Right. (laughs) Okay. And so I got to put these strings on thinking, yeah, I built myself a guitar. This is cool. And the thing just exploded. It was like it, like it exploded into a pile of splinters, like there was a firecracker or something inside. <laughs> like, whoa, what? You know, probably burst into tears and uh, ran inside the house and went, uh, okay, let me take a closer look. You know, pull the guitar down, look inside. Oh, there's all this stuff inside. Okay, these sticks all over. They probably make it stronger. I 
I better do that next time. So I waited till I got another big piece of wood. Tried again. That one broke as well. <laughs> you know, it kind of started that way. But uh, along the way, I, they started working. They started working. Not well, but they're working. And then I started fixing guitars. Because, you know, you work on it long enough, you go, hmm, yeah, I, I see what's wrong with this one. I can fix that. I can put that back together. So by the time I was a teenager, I was building and selling guitars to people around the around town, I, you know, family, friends. Then it turned into musicians and professional musicians and some collectors and some museums and things like that. But by the time I was a teenager, I was... Bill, I was doing all the r- repairs for a lot of the local music shops because they didn't really have woodworking right. capabilities. And so they'd, <laughs> they'd, they'd call our house and uh, leave a message for me. And then my mom or dad would drive me around town to all the different music shops. I'd pick up all the broken guitars, put them in the station wagon, bring them back home, fix them in our garage. And then my mom or dad would drive me back around, drop them all off, collect the next batch, you know. And so it was, it turned into a thing that I just, I love doing. And, uh, all the, all the while I was always playing in bands and, and started playing on records with different people. And that's kind of, that was kind of all I ever really did was work with guitars, work with instruments and play them. And so I studied music in college. I had a scholarship and went, okay, I might as well make the most of it, do some stuff. There was a, a great university here in San Diego called UCSD, and they had some great musicians that I wanted to spend more time with. And it's about a, that's a short walk from my favorite surf spot. So, you know. Made sense. <laughs> yeah, it made a lot of sense that way. <laughs> yeah. But even all, all of my, call it college era, I was mostly building guitars and selling them to classmates, my teachers, some of them who I had, you know, night gigs with playing in the same bands and that kind of thing. So it's sort of an interesting mix. And then um, I kind of figured I'd, I'd just do, do that forever. Yeah. And it was, it was great. It was a wonderful, it was a wonderful existence. I mean, I was surfing a lot, you know, spending a lot of time in the water and getting to play music. Tried touring just a tiny little bit and realized I hated it. Mm. I was not cut out for van life. I really liked being in my workshop every day. That was a thing. And around the time that I graduated college, I uh, I kind of had this almost like a panic moment. You know, you you realize, man, all my like all of my peers, all my friends, they're all going and getting jobs. Uh, what the heck am I going to do? <laughs> right. Right. And, and I realized like, oh my gosh, I can't quit even if I wanted to, because I've taken all at the, at the time I had, I think maybe a two or three year waiting list for new guitars. And so I, I realized like, oh man, I can't quit even if I wanted to, because I've taken all these people's money <laughs> and right. I got to make good on all those promises. And, oh wait, all my bills are paid. I absolutely love working on guitars. Uh, maybe I'll just pretend that this is like a job and I'll just keep doing some of that. That could work out mm-hmm. at least for now that could work. And so I did that for a number of years. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's how it makes you feel a little like an idiot to not see it in, uh, 
as you're going through it, it was almost always in hindsight. Mm-hmm. You're kind of like, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And then you realize, oh, I, maybe I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, that seems to be okay. I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, then, I, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that for me with the building pedals, there were so many times where I had the same moment. Like I, you know, I had this fear of like, what's going to happen when I actually sat down and looked like, oh, I could survive off doing the thing I actually like doing. Um, but for me, there was, a, there was always like this voice in the back of my head saying, you know, you're not a professional at this. You don't know how to run a business. You don't know how to pay taxes yet. You don't know how to do all these things. <laughs> and it, it does make it kind of daunting, but it, it's awesome to hear that story from you because, you know, it just people having the perseverance to actually like try something. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems kind of rare, you know, so that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm not sure I had, I really had the courage to call it perseverance, but you know, like in the, the first 10 years of being in business, you don't make any money. Mm-hmm. You're just learning the ropes, right? You're, you're struggling. Well, I had the, the fortune that that first 10 years happened when I was so young, they didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I kind of chuckle. It's far enough in the rear view mirror now that I'm not embarrassed about it. I got in trouble with the IRS. I was 12 or 13 at the time. Okay. <laughs> and, and so I was, you know, working, working away in my mom and dad's garage. And I, you know, I was rented a little space from them. And I'm not, not that, that young. They weren't, they weren't, uh, they weren't serious like that. They just made me, you know, clean up real good. Yeah. And so I got this letter in the mail and it was really stern and scary looking and I ran in the house, showed it to my, my dad and I go, okay, so what does this mean? And he read it over. <laughs> he starts laughing. <laughs> he goes, well, I'll tell you what it means. He goes, it means that you made too much money and somebody noticed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went out. I, I, I can still remember it. My my mom drove me out to the county recorder's office, you know, like the clerk, you know, kind of official government building where you do all your all your business stuff. And it's waited in the long lines, you know. And I, I go to the guy at the counter and the person at the counter and I give him this this letter. I go, okay, so what should I do? He looks it over, looking over the counter at me. He's on that real high desk kind of thing where I could barely see over it and calls a supervisor over. They talk for a while. They call another person over, ask the person next to him. After what feels like an eternity, (laughs) slides the letter back. He goes, I don't know what to tell you, kid. You got yourself a a problem here. He goes, you're not old enough to work. But you got to pay your taxes, so you better figure something out. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So wait, I did. I, I figured out a little workaround to go. Oh well, I can, you know, I could file a for a business name this way, and as long as I don't have any employees, I can, you know, the form. This form doesn't require your age on it, so I just I'll fill out that one, you know, and kind of kind of live between the cracks of society. It's crazy, though, because you kind of just stumbled into this career path, it seems. And I think we have a, a good portion of listeners on this show that are, you know, want to get into the industry. They want to build, you know, pedals or they want to get into guitars or 
you know, something like that. And it's, I think it can be really daunting for a lot of people because there's not really, you know, it's a really small industry still in the grand scheme mm-hmm. of things. And it doesn't oh, yeah. seem that there's like an established career path. It's not like you, okay, I go to this college for four years and then I get this job for 10 years and then I move into this and move up. And so it's, it's great to, to hear your story because it's, um, it basically seems like it boils down to just do what you like, do it a lot, get good at it. And you might find a way to do it for a living and then become the CEO of a big guitar company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot like a life in music. You ask any musician, you go, well, how did you end up here? And, you know, I admire it once in a while, once in a rare while, you'll hear about somebody who said, well, I set out to become a studio, a first call studio musician. And so I went at it this way, but you know what? I bet you the number of times I've heard that story could be counted on one hand. Maybe two, but that's rare. Usually what you find is, well, I fell in love with music and I started playing and I was playing with this band and then I got this gig and I happened to come across this, you know, monitor engineer on this tour and it Mm -hmm. turned into that. And, you know, you kind of fall your way into things and then realize, man, there's, there's a spot right here where there's something. You know, in my case, the way the way I came to Taylor was I was happily doing my work and I kind of thought I'd work like Geppetto in a workshop with the leather apron and my big thick glasses until I was, you know, a very, very old man. And and then uh, Bob and Kurt approached me. We had had always been playing and I was playing with a friend of mine at the time. We were doing like a kind of a duo sort of thing, just, you know, goofing off and having fun. And we ended up playing at... Um, uh, uh, Taylor Nam presentation, like in a, in a big booth, we used to do a big stage and that kind of thing. And, and so we came in, played a set of music, uh, just with two guitars, my buddy was singing and, and, uh, Bob Taylor and I got to talking and we kept talking and we had met, I mean, San Diego is a pretty small place. We had met back when I was a teenager and he, at a, at another show. And he saw something, uh, an instrument that I'd built and said, well, if you ever need a job, come look me up. I said, no, thanks, but no, thanks. You know, I'm kind of, I'm not old enough to drive and couldn't get there anyway. And kind of happy doing what I'm doing. And so our, our paths crossed again later. And then finally he called me in one day. He goes, Hey man, look, we're a guitar company that's driven by a guitar maker. It's like, if we want to keep that that way. So if you could take what you're good at doing and combine it with what we're good at doing, musicians will benefit from that. A whole mm-hmm. bunch of people could benefit from that. And so that's kind of how, how this all came to be, is, is simply looking at what is good for a company's employees, what's good for a company's suppliers, what's good for musicians, what's good for people whose livelihoods depend on selling instruments. What's the best, what's the best you can do with what you've got? You know, that's where this, that's kind of where this started. And, and the reason that we continue this is when, well, in life, you're trusted with a couple of things. You've got some level of ability to, you know, build pedals or make amps or play, play music, write songs. You got some sort of thing. What can you do with it? Who can you serve with that? Mm. And so that's kind of how this, how this all fell into place. If you were going to, you know, 
because like when, when, when you talk about the acoustic guitar world, Taylor is one of the names that, that immediately comes to mind. And, uh, for the people that may not have taken that step to try an instrument yet from, from Taylor, like what, how would you distill what it is that you guys do for, for musicians when, when it concerns your instruments? I guess I'd say it, say it this way. We want to serve what, serve, we want to build something that's great to serve the needs of a musician, right? And so that's got to sound great. It's an instrument that has to sound great. It has an instrument that has to play really good. It has to be repairable. It has to be dependable. It's got to work on a gig. It's got to work in your bedroom. It's got to work when you're playing with other musicians. It's got to serve the needs of a musician. And so I love manufacturing things. I've always loved making things. But if it's not getting used, then it probably wasn't a great thing to make to begin with. Mm. Right? So what we want to do is build an instrument that suits the needs of musicians and inspires them to play. That's what we're looking for. And you look around, look at and not just not just how many genres of music there are there, but how many different flavors I mean, every musician is, I mean, they're so unique. I mean, every artist is, whether they were musical or some other form of artist, but every, every artist, man, it's like, it's like they're a snapshot in that moment of their current inspiration, plus mm -hmm. all of their experiences, plus their influences, plus their surroundings and their environment, like all these different things. It makes every musician so unbelievably unique. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they listen different ways. They play different things. They're offering different things. They're creating different things. One sound of guitar isn't going to fit that. Now, one size fits all means one size fits all poorly. You yeah, know, there's a right. lot of flavors. And so what I've always liked as a builder and a player is to have different flavors. And so you look at our lineup of guitars that we're building, man, there's a lot of different flavors. There's a lot of different sounds, a lot of different shapes, different feels in your hand, different woods and different aesthetic treatments and different, you know, there's a wide variety of stuff here because musicians are unique. Mm. Yeah. So being a guitar designer and builder, you've been with Taylor since 2011, right? Something like that. Sounds about right. So you've been involved in some, some pretty heavy, you know, guitar designs and, and new shapes and, and, What's just interesting to me is, you know, the acoustic world, I think, leans pretty heavily on tradition, right? Like there's a few shapes that are sort of the tried and true shapes, right? You mm -hmm. know, the, the dread or, or the, the slope shoulder dread or, or the OM or whatever. So how do you approach, you know, coming into the acoustic guitar world and trying to design something new, a new shape, a new bracing system and get it in the hands of people that are pretty traditionally minded with that kind of stuff. Well, I think it, to begin with, I think I'd broaden it and say, it's not just acoustic guitar players. Well, true. Yeah. Right. Very true. I mean, <laughs> look yeah, at the traditional electric guitar shapes, Strat, Telly, Les Paul. You know, mm -hmm. There's, mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of that. I think what we, as musicians, where, where we land is we're comfortable with familiarity, mm -hmm. right? We like the look of things. We like the feel of things. We like the comfort of, being comfortable, right? And so you don't want to go too far from that in any one step. 
you want to understand, kind of internalize, well, this should look like a guitar. Mm. This should look like kind of the legacy of what guitar has, where guitar has driven us. It's kind of like you take your own history in instruments and then you use that to guide where you're about to go next. Kind of the same path that a musician might take. Mm -hmm. Look at your last record and go, well, I'm not going to completely depart from that because that is a little piece of who I am. And now I'm going to put some fresh inspiration to it. And so you take these things stepwise. You know, you look at, okay, uh, let's, let's look at some of Martin's earlier shapes. You go back into the 1800s. Look at the development of how guitars became progressively larger. At that point, there was no differentiation between electric guitar, acoustic steel string, flat top guitar, arch top guitar, nylon string guitar, resonator guitar. There was just guitar. Mm. And they go, well, we want them to be a little louder. We're playing in bigger, bigger rooms, more volume, etc. So they started making that body bigger. And over a series of developments, it got a little bigger each time. Gibson did something a little different because they started with such a different thought about mm-hmm. their initial instruments. I mean, the strings were pushing on the top, not really pulling in most cases. It was carved like kind of a violinish sort of thing. And so there were different ideas to begin with of what that guitar form should be. And you saw it become bigger and saw these shapes be developed and they found favor with musicians. They served the needs of a musician at that time. You know, it did something for a player. They went, oh, this works. This is great. Let's, let's go with that. And so then, you know, I, I liken it to being a two-way street between builders and musicians. You know, a builder will make an instrument, players play it, evaluate it, give some feedback go, oh, this new instrument allows me to make these new sounds. Mm-hmm. Cool. You know, and then a, a builder listens to that and goes, oh, well, if you're trying to do that, let me, and that steers their next step. Yeah. And so you watch this kind of slow evolution. And for me as a designer now, that's what I participate in. I want to contribute what I can and what I know of guitar and music and and contribute to the kind of the community pool mm-hmm. of what players appreciate and what they can do with the instrument. And then after me, somebody else will take up the same, the same torch and they'll put their contributions in, you know, the guitar is still a pretty young instrument, historically speaking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially steel string guitars. That's only, that's what a hundred years in common practice. Right. That's not long. Right. Yeah. Especially electric guitars. even less. Yeah. Than that, I mean, electric know? guitars, even newer. Right. The short answer to your original question is you're participating in an ongoing evolution. Mm. Just like every time you pick up your instrument and you go to play a few songs, you're participating in this musical evolution of what's come before you and where you're about to go. Nice. Uh, So you touched on it a little bit. And on our show, multiple times, we've talked about Tonewood. And uh, previously we had Mr. Paul Reed Smith on. We talked about the importance of Tonewood in an, a solid body electric instrument. And um, it, it's incurred quite a bit of debate in the comments section. I'm sure you're aware of such topics of conversation. But, you know, everyone always tosses up, you know, sure it matters in acoustics, but it doesn't matter in electrics or solid body instruments. 
I, undoubtedly, you're going to have this this wealth of knowledge about tone woods. So, could you touch on just a bit of that? Because I would yeah. love to hear that. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of times, when I mean, trying to describe sounds is a difficult thing. Yes. Because you're sort of using the wrong side of your head. You know, mm-hmm. you're using the language head and the language side of your mind, and uh, and sounds. You know, we we tend to think of them almost like they were in the land of the living. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a different kind of thing. But I can tell you a couple of basic truths about a guitar. One of them is that okay, let's say we were talking about solid body electric guitars. Now, I love Paul's guitars. I love Paul's playing. I mean, if you guys heard the guy play, yeah, he's good. Yeah, and he's been good for a long time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a he's a maker. I I respect a lot. You look at a, an electric guitar and you look at the way a neck works and you go, well, that's basically one leg of a tuning fork. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you were to hold a stick of wood like firm against your kitchen table and you pluck the end of that stick of wood with your other finger, does it or does it not make a sound? It, right. does, it does make a sound. Yes. If you make it so that that piece of wood doesn't stick out so far from the edge of the table and you pluck it, that pitch goes up because functioning functionally, it's now a stiffer thing. If you were to, maybe it was a rectangular piece of wood and you held it flat against the table and then you hold, you rotate it 90 degrees. So the kind of the stiff edge is facing up and you pluck it, the pitch will be louder. Okay. There's a lot of things that are true for a guitar neck. Okay. So if you look at the, the, influence of a neck wood even a neck shape like kind of dirty little secret neck shapes do matter they matter because they're comfortable and they determine how your hands fit around a neck and that determines how you play but the stiffness of a neck matters the material used for a fretboard matters the wood you use for the neck matters how long is the neck that matters what's the arrangement and shape of the headstock that matters it all matters but then in the real world, you ask, well, how much does it matter? Okay, well, that's a different question mm-hmm. because there's other things that might matter a lot more, like how much coffee did you drink that morning? <laughs> are the strings new? What pick are you holding? Are, how are you playing the guitar? Like, what are you doing with it? What's the rest of the picture look like? So, yeah, on, on call it a theoretical side, everything matters. And on the practical side, yeah, it matters some, and it matters more in some designs and less in other designs. And in some contexts, you won't really hear much difference. And in other designs, it'll it'll affect it. Mm. If you're kind of a connoisseur and you're used to, you know, kind of geeking out over the the, the subtleties of one versus another, yeah, you'll you'll clue in on that. You might not be able to describe it. You might have a really hard time measuring it. But the, you can sense it. There's something there. That's the yeah. best answer I've heard to this question thus far. I mean, I, agree. It, I think I think you're you're totally totally right, I, and I completely agree. And I think the the part of this sort of debate is that that I think you know the non tone wood side of the debate, if you will. It's like people are so quick to just dismiss all of that. Like, oh, none of it matters. I can't hear a difference. 
I, you know, I'm listening to this comparison on my phone or I'm watching it on my laptop speakers or through a podcast or, you know, whatever. It's like, well, this video says it doesn't make a difference. I can't hear a difference in the video. Therefore, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. Tonewood's all a marketing scheme. It's all a gimmick and it's a way to just sell you on stuff. Don't buy into the hype kind of thing. It's like, okay, well, I think it's more of a personal thing. Either if it doesn't matter to you and you think it's all hype and everything, great. It doesn't matter. That's fine. But like you were saying to certain people or to other people, it does matter. And a guitar is a sum of its parts. It's it's right. this like cumulative thing that all comes together to create the voice and the sound, which inspires the player to play a certain way, you know? So yeah, I, yeah I absolutely. Absolutely. Like I, I think of it this way. What we get to listen to isn't really ever just the guitar and it's not just a guitar player. What you're listening to is the relationship between the two, Right. Like your hands don't sound like much until they're, they've got an instrument to play. And that guitar, I think it was Chet Atkins that had a famous thing that somebody had told him, man, your guitar sounds great. And he points at it while it's sitting in the stand. He goes, well, what's it sound like right now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, but the point is you, it's the relationship between the player and the instrument. And so if something changes about the instrument that influences the way a musician handles it, the way that they hold their notes, the way they phrase it, the way they play. Well, philosophically, did it matter? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you a short story about it. Uh, there was a singer-songwriter gal that I, I – she brought a guitar in that I needed to fix up. It had been around the world I don't know how many times. It was like it had lived a hard life, that guitar. And so I, you know, I looked at it. Okay, okay, well, I can I can put this back together and uh, and get you back out on the road with it. Cool. This is your favorite instrument. It's part of your muse. It's it's a thing for you. It had a big crack. It was an acoustic flat top guitar. It had a big crack in the top. And I go, okay, well, can I? I think maybe that's one of the first things I'll fix. Mm-hmm. And there was a sticker, you know, like a bumper sticker looking thing right over the top of it. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, well, let me take that off. Let's fix this wood. I glue it all back together, cleat the inside, get it all patched up. Got the thing playing really good, sounded really good. It was like a great working instrument again. She came to pick it up and she played it, looked at it, and just went, oh, What did you do? Why did you take that sticker off? And at first, I was kind of scratching my head, like, Well, you know, it sounds a lot better now. It's louder. It's not so muffled. It's not buzzing because it's not broken, you know? (laughs) She goes, no. And then she goes on to tell me this whole story about where that sticker came from, the gig that she was at when she got it and put it on there. And it was a pivotal moment in her life as a songwriter and, a, you know, this whole thing. And then I, by the time she was done, I realized... Holy smokes, you are absolutely right. I did you a disservice by removing that sticker because this guitar isn't serving you the same way that it was before. You don't sound like you when you play on this. Fortunately, I'd saved it, and so we were able to put it back on. (laughs) But I I was kind of dumbfounded for for a minute, went, wow, okay, the sticker made it better for you, huh? (laughs) Who yeah, am man. I to ar- who am I to argue with that? 
that's yeah that's that's a great way to look at it you know it's because your instrument is a tool that you use for a job and you know it's it's your thing when you have your favorite guitar or through your favorite amp or or whatever it is like that is part of your voice and it's an important important relationship so yeah man oh yeah as as someone who has done a lot of gigging with with guitars and acoustic guitars um like us guitar players we we dive down these insanely deep rabbit holes especially electric guitar players on on things that are uh you know everyone says oh you have to have this on your in your rig pivotal pieces of equipment that you need for for gigging and seeing as you know taylor guitars have you know built-in pickups good preamp systems that have gotten even better over the past couple of years. What do you think if someone says, Hey, you know, I'm trying to gig, I've got my guitar, it's, it's got everything in it, <clears throat> but what could, what could I add to this situation to improve my performance? Is there anything mm-hmm. that, that comes to mind that you could recommend to players who are, who are trying to gig more with their acoustic instruments? Right. I, I to me, that's a, it's a simple question, but it's, it's a difficult one to answer because I need more context. Like, right. right. So you look at a person's electric rig. Like I, I don't know how many different versions of pedal boards and amp rigs and all the stuff I've set up, torn down. I, and, and at this point, I, I don't really even have one go to because sometimes uh, it's a gig that needs a pedal steel and an electric and a this and a that. And I go, well, I want to run through one rig, one amp setup. How do I blend them? Whatever it is. For acoustic guitars, what I tend to see is somebody will show up at a gig with their guitar case and maybe a cable, hopefully a good cable, and they'll plug their guitar into one end of the cable and then they'll pick up the other end of the cable and go, could somebody take this from me? Could somebody (laughs) plug this in somewhere and make it sound glorious? Right? So I I tend to see that pretty often we go, Right. Electric guitar players live in this world where they think of their whole signal chain pretty thoroughly. And acoustic guitar players are somewhere on this spectrum of either really sophisticated all the way down to not at all. Yeah. You know, some of the best acoustic sounds that I've ever heard start in front of a microphone. Mm -hmm. Even on stage. Right. Some people, some stages, some sound people, some performers, their situation lends itself really well to that. I mean, one of the tricks with an acoustic guitar is that the sound of an acoustic guitar does not live on or in the guitar. It's in the airspace around the guitar. Mm. Right? And so any form of amplification device, any form of mechanical kind of like a sound gathering gizmo that you could attach on or in the guitar is inherently an incomplete version, Mm. right? That's, that's the fundamental problem with an acoustic guitar with an electric guitar. You're focused a lot more on the way strings are moving and you can influence the way a string moves by changing, let's say neck wood or bridge or design or what, whatever it might be, but you've got a lot of focus on string motion and how that gets translated into a signal for an acoustic guitar you've got string motion but you also have this mechanical amplifier that you're trying to capture okay it's not much different than putting a mic in front of your guitar amp 
Like you play an like an early Fender Deluxe with a pine, kind of a thin walled pine cabinet. You're listening to the sides of that cabinet almost as much as you are that speaker. It's like that. Mm-hmm. That's a thing. Yeah. Right. That's a huge thing. That's why right. I think a lot of electric players. Just to, to not to interrupt you, but to uh, as an aside, there like a lot of electric players who are used to playing in the room in front of their amp. The first time they either hear their amp mic'd up or they go through some kind of like Oxbox or DI solution. They're like, well, this sounds terrible. This doesn't sound like my amp. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, because right. you're not used to hearing a microphone on a speaker. You're used to hearing right. the speaker in the cabinet and the room and the way it's all interacting together. Right. And so that's the process that an acoustic guitar player goes through. Just go, well, when I play my guitar, it sounds like this, but on stage, yeah, it doesn't really sound much like my experience. Because, yeah, a lot of it's not captured. Yeah. You know, it would be like walking up to a painting on the wall. Let's say, let's say a couple of different options. Okay, I could go through them pretty easily. Uh, let's say you're using piezo crystals. Okay, piezo crystal. It's actually a pretty interesting device. It's a, it's a, it's a molecule where you have an uh, an even number of electrons, and when it gets pressed, <laughs> pressed under or compressed. You get apply pressure to it. You shove a shove more of the electrons over to one side than the other. There's a polarity. There's a like a voltage differential there. Well, that is the definition of voltage. It's the difference between electrical charge, and so that difference in the altered amount of pressure is what can create a signal. You can gather this minuscule amount of of electricity and use that variation in pressure to therefore create a, an electric signal. Okay, if you take a little tiny chip of that and put it right under a saddle, man, it's like looking at a painting from a, a giant painting on the wall from six inches away through the middle of a drinking straw. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's the picture of your acoustic guitar that you're going to see. You might get a part of it. You're going to get to focus on one th- aspect of it, but you're not, certainly not going to hear the whole thing. Right. I didn't if realize put, we we're going to get a physics lesson today. This is, this is awesome. <laughs> I, I like it. Sorry, the <laughs> nerdy is factor cool. is the nerd. Uh, it's it's pretty easy to go down those rabbit holes. No, this is great. I love this. Okay, but you look at that and go, well, you're going to get a tiny little picture. Okay, is it natural? Not really. Is it the complete picture? Not really. Does it work? Yeah, it works pretty good actually. Does it create a musically useful sound on a stage? Yeah, in most cases it does. That's something that you can work with. Does it fit in a band setting? Mostly it does. And so what you're asking is not necessarily, how do I make it sound perfectly like the guitar that I'm playing, but how do I make a sound that fits in this musical context? Okay, so if if you're open to that conversation or when once you arrive at that spot, that's when things start to work a lot better. Because you can run through outboard gear. You see some pretty sophisticated acoustic players who are, you know, they might plug into a pedal tuner that mutes. I mean, I don't know how many acoustic guitar players still plug into one of those white Boss TU-12. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. I've got one. I've got yeah. probably a dozen of them sitting in different under the workbench somewhere. And so the, you'll see somebody do something like that, but then they might run through – a different preamp, maybe a parametric EQ that allows them some feedback suppression or control for a room. They might 
look at something with some signal boosting. They might look at a reverb or some compression. They're trying to create a signal to hand to a sound man, Mm -hmm. something that works in their context. Okay. That's where I love to see players end up when they find what kind of stages they're playing on. What's the rig look like? How are you best going to make this instrument work? Certainly there's something to love about plug and play, you know, and a great piece of gear. Man, oftentimes you can get there and sound perfectly appropriate for the context. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love going to a gig with like my archtop, one of my archtop guitars and an old tweed deluxe or something going, yeah, yeah, I have a cord and I plug it into this and I plug it into that and I play and it, yeah, it sounds killer. You know, a, a great piece of gear will allow you to do that, but it's not always the most appropriate sound for the context. So in different environments, man, you got to take into account how are you using it? What's the stage set up like? What's the band set up like? Like if you're playing with a, uh, you're playing an acoustic guitar in front of a six piece rock band on a big stage, that's one, that's one context. If you're playing a traditional sounding acoustic guitar, around a microphone in a bluegrass band with some other acoustic instruments, different context. Yeah. You have different needs and a lot of different things. Singer songwriter playing solo and, a, and accompanying your vocals, different context. A lot of it depends. So I'm, I'm the type of player that generally hate the sound of a plugged up DI acoustic guitar. I just, don't like it and and my way around it is to try and get as far away from that as possible so in recent years when i have had to play acoustic on a gig a lot of times i'll just plug it into my electric amp and just make it it's like try and just get it away from the trying to make it sound like an acoustic guitar and just making it some sort of different element altogether and adding some slapback and some reverb or maybe a little distortion here or there but right and in, in your and, and that works to your point of context the context that i often play acoustic in it works for that but let's say i want to get as an accurate response as possible from an acoustic guitar in a live setting what have you found to be the the best system is it a specific pickup is it a specific preamp or combination therein what what do you think for for me i found that our es2 pickup works really good for most players most of the time okay is that a fair way to say it it's it's not all it doesn't work great for all players all the time it works mm-hmm. really well for most players most of the time so most contexts that's pretty good it has better dynamic range than a lot of acoustic pickups. It's more touch sensitive than a lot of acoustic guitar pickups. And so that works pretty well. I like to couple it with a parametric EQ. Okay. And, right. and listen to the system that I'm putting it through. If I can, there are times when a, a compressor is nice to go, well, how do I fit in this mix? So that can work pretty good. Um, if you can blend it with a little bit, if it's a quiet stage, you can blend it with another with a microphone as well. Mm-hmm. That works really good because now you have some of the the spatial sense around right. that instrument. That's probably my favorite version. But again, it's context dependent. I love your analogy of 
like you really have opened my mind to to the way I think about acoustic guitars being specifically like amplifying acoustic guitars. It's you're only getting one small element of the whole voice of the guitar. Mm -hmm. It would almost be like in an electric context. You have your whole electric rig, your guitar, your pedal board, your amp, speaker cab, but you're just listening to like the signal coming off of the V1 preamp tube and just taking that and trying to make that the whole sound, right? Like that's, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. And so, you know, yeah, that's, that's huge because I think there's a lot of players out there now, you know, specifically maybe electric players that play acoustic live like Mm -hmm. myself that want it to sound more natural and more real and just have been really frustrated with the options out there. So it sounds like you need to kind of, take a few key pieces put it together and then listen to the guitar in the room and make changes accordingly a lot of it yeah yeah you're right a lot of it to me is context okay so if i were to look at the the guitars that a player might have at a gig you probably don't play the gig with just one instrument Right. You might have right. a Tele, you might have a Strat, you might have a Les Paul, you might have an SG, you might have a 335, maybe you have a PRS, maybe. It, and they all kind of have different flavors. If you're a fortunate player to have some different amp options, you might go, okay, well, that's my that's my rock gig with this band. For that band, I like playing an AC30 with these three guitars. And on this song, I use this pedal. And on this song, I use that you kind of have your go-tos of what's going to work for you for a context. But the, the rig that I would bring to say a jazz gig isn't the same as what I would bring to a country gig playing with like a honky tonk band. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly not the same thing that I would take to like a bluegrass gig yeah, and play with that band. Right. And so I look and go, well, you might have a, a choice of two or three different amps and maybe three or four different electric guitars and a choice of, I don't know, a do- half dozen pedals or something that you might swap out based on context. And then you're going to look at an acoustic guitar and go, well, this one acoustic guitar does all my acoustic sounds. <laughs> well, kind of, right. I guess you could sort of get there. I mean, everybody started with a first guitar, but they're different purposes. They're different things. You know, like if I'm playing, finger style on an acoustic guitar, I'm probably not going to pick up the same instrument or choose the same pickup or the same signal chain as if I was playing with a big, thick flat pick and like laying into this thing on a rhythm part. Mm -hmm. Like I've got a different thing. I'm going to set all my output levels different. I'm going to EQ it differently. I'm going to compress it differently. It's got to fit a different purpose. Is, Is that something like the pedal realm? Cause, cause you guys, you know, made a lot of interesting products over the years, but I don't, I don't know if Taylor's ever done like any sort of preamp pedals or anything like that. Is that something you guys are ever thinking about doing or? Oh, I'd love to. It's, there's all kinds of stuff that hasn't been done yet. I mean, if you look at guitar and think, well, this is still a ever evolving world. It's a young instrument. New musicians are coming up with new ways of doing things all the time. We years ago, we built something that we called a K4, which was a preamp. It was like a standalone preamp box, kind of an unusual shape. Wasn't really a piece of rack gear necessarily or a pedal, but it was a it was something that we had developed in con, in conjunction with Rupert Neve. Mm-hmm. Okay? 
it was basically a like a channel strip out of a Neve console. Nice. Sounded really good. Great piece. We ended up stopping because that piece was designed around such specific components that when those components became not available, we went, yeah, don't redesign it. Don't bother. Mm-hmm. That was, it's, it's the sunset on that project. Yeah. We haven't really gone back there partly because we, we can make what we have expertise in. And so when we look at the field of electronics, like pedal creation, yeah, we don't really have that expertise right now. I know right. what I want to hear. And other people who do have expertise in that are making some really neat gear. Yeah. Go with that. That works really good. So, yeah, maybe we would, but I don't want to make something just for the for the purpose of having a product in a category on the market. I want it to have a reason to exist. And it's got to serve a musician in in some some good, compelling way. No, yeah. I really respect that, man. That that that's cool to hear from you know the the leader of a, of a company like Taylor. It's because I think a lot of times the the business side of things lends itself to well, we got to get into this market, so we need a we need a thing that does this. So just let's get out get out there so we can we can be part of that. It sounds like you're saying like no, if we can't do it really well. Then I'm just we we don't really want to do it. So that's cool. Well, well, yeah. Then it's it's kind of just a waste. Right. It's a waste of effort. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of materials. It's like, yeah, there's, there's, there's not a reason to do it yet. Yeah. Ultimately you have to make a product that speaks to, to you and something you would actually want to use. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's the, the getting into that realm. Cause I mean, with everything that's going on with like, uh, like pickup and microphone modeling for acoustic guitars, um, uh, I, I can't remember the name of that unit that you can like model microphones and then plug your guitar into it. And then it sounds like your guitar play. It's the, oh, the, the things Aura? that exist. Fishman. No, no, there's, there's another, like a smaller company that, that makes this thing. Are you think, are you thinking of the, the, the bags voice print? I think. Well, there was, was a, there was another one. I, I worked at Carter vintage for a time. Uh, okay. And, and uh, it was a thing that, that, came out that you could we would do it in the the rooms with the guitar we would take a mic in there and set it up and show these people doing it but it wasn't like bags or fishermen it wasn't any of the big boys it was a smaller company um you can be honest you were using a kemper just just no no (laughs) but it was like that it was like modeling the microphone's response and then it would listen to your onboard pickup system you had to have something Mm -hmm. and then it would just make it sound like that and it was pretty crazy. And I think, you know, we're, I mean, everything we're seeing with modeling is, is pretty remarkable, especially in the electric guitar world. But I, I assume that kind of thing is going to become more tangible for companies to, to start experimenting with. Yeah. But I mean, that's, it's a whole different skill set that you have to have. And it's, I mean, it's beyond me for sure. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I can see that technology coming. And every time I, I think, well, yeah, here, here it comes, you know, it, you're going to take a deep dive into the world of something resembling AI and fast forward, transform real time model to alter this based on nothing but impulse response or, you know, whatever the technology might be. Then I come back to the fact that a musician picks up an instrument and goes, this does something for me. I love it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do something with it. 
like I, I showed up at a gig not long ago and, and, uh, with an old friend and, and, uh, he opens his, his case up, he pulls out this flat top guitar. I don't remember when we built it. It was, it was a bit older. He's playing a flat top steel string guitar with flat wound strings on it. I go, Really? <laughs> what are you doing that for? That's kind of a that's kind of a weird mix. He goes, Yeah, I, I tried it and I like it. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> sure. Let's go with that. You like it. That's that's good enough. You know, I mean I've I've heard some great musicians play on resonator guitars and they go, Yeah, the way to make this the way to make this re- the like really great the way that I like it is I haven't changed the strings in 10 years. Mm-hmm. They're so dead and crusty. It just cleans the whole thing up. And I like it. That's, Fine. that's kind of how I am with acoustics. I want, I want dead, dead strings on my acoustics. I don't want, I don't want an acoustic to be too bright and too articulate. I kind of want a warm <laughs> round dead sound out of them. And it yeah. works for me. Now, have you, have you played around with some of the different strings? Like, uh, you, like well, if you look I've, at, if you look I've through Tedario's to, catalog, yeah, they've yeah. got a lot of different options. I've tried the half rounds recently. Um, Matt Ike from Mule Resonators turned me on to those because uh, that's what he ships all his resonators with are the half mm-hmm. rounds. And and I've tried putting those on acoustic and that's a really cool sound too because it gives you, it blends that like bright articulate round wound steel string thing with sort of the flat wound sort of warmth and, and tubbiness, but it's still mm-hmm. playable and, and uh, you get, less string noise as well which is nice for recording so yeah the half rounds are, are a cool move that's a cool one have you tried to dario's flat tops no that was that was i i know they still make it but i don't think i've ever seen them in a music shop you kind of have to get them probably from them but it's basically a, a round wound string and the outside's been ground halfway away nice. so it's not really like a ribbon wound or you know flat wound string it's not quite a half round, but it has this really interesting sound. I love it on a Dobro because Wait, it, is that, it just it's sounds the so red clean. stripe on the package. Like it's the white with, cause I think that's, I might have those up there. I think that might be what I was talking about with the half rounds. Cause it's, oh, it could be, yeah. they call them flat tops. That might be what I'm looking at right up there. I can't read it from here, but yeah, that's, oh, that's cool. I, I think that's what mule ships all his resonators with for that same reason. Cause especially when you're playing slide too, you get it's yeah. smoother and you get less string noise. It's awesome. Yeah. I, cool I found that pedal. I mean, there's a lot of different things. Oh, you found a pedal. <laughs> yeah. It's called the audio sprocket tone Dexter. Um, oh, I've never heard of that. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting name, but yeah, that, that's the thing that like models, uh, mics and stuff. Cool. Want to dip a rig here? Sure. So we got an electric guitar rig here. This is from Mr. Mike Stearns. Stearns. Um, Ooh. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, so he's nice. got uh, he's got a parts caster telly. Uh, okay. Pretty straightforward. This is an old '80s, late '80s Greco SG, and nice. uh, he's got an orange or fifteen, a little two by twelve uh, cab. And then the pedal board, he's got one of my fuzzes. He's got a dry bell unit 67. I think is that like a, like a preamp from like an Echoplex or something? I think so. Yeah. Uh, uh, boss tuner. He said that's old enough to vote, which is, is great. 
uh, <laughs> uh, Catalan Bread, Bell Epoch, uh, Echoplex Delay, the Walrus Arp Delay, a Flint, and the Strymon Deco. And he said this is like his yeah. do everything, grab and go uh, guitar rig. And I, I like it. Uh, the, all, the only thing, and let me see if I can zoom in here. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of, uh, one of the bad things about pedal boards and Velcro. There's a oops. Oh, there's yeah. a lot of a lot of hair. Yeah, <laughs> that happens. Yeah, <laughs> but we that's you know that's normal. Like to the the wonders of dual lock, my friend. Dual um, lock or or one of those like cap brushes, you know. Yeah, but will that get out of Velcro? Like the oh the yeah, man, they're of great. Velcro? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> okay, so guitar wise, so parts caster telly, pretty straight ahead. But I do like that he put the left handed neck on the right handed guitar. That's a nice touch. You don't see that yeah. a lot on tellies. That's no. cool. No, you don't. Is there anything, Andy, like guitar builder wise that, that you would say? Because does that affect like the string tension at all on the, the lower strings? Not so much the tension, but th that's a Fender style headstock. So you don't have the angle back. You've got a step back, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And so you can see there's – the picture is pretty small, but it looks like there's two string trees. They're pretty close to the nut, which is cool. You've got a lot of contact points. Um the length of string behind the nut before you hit the tuning post matters. Mm -hmm. And so on a lot of guitars, especially a Fender style guitar, you got to pay attention to that mm -hmm. because you might not get the backset angle you want against the nut. You might have a little too much duplex scaling resonance. That's the, like when the string behind the nut is rat or vibrating. Okay. That affects oh, wait, the notes that, again? that you're what playing. What was that called? Duplex. <laughs> Okay, uh, piano tuner or piano designer will call it duplex scaling. Okay, what? so what what happens is when you like have that. when you have a string, call it the active or speaking length, and it's held between two points, on immediately on either side of that, the resonance isn't perfectly stopped at that right. at the point. You have to go around multiple bends. That's why if you look at the pins, like the hitch pins on the end of a piano string, right. you've got a series of them and they have to make multiple bends to get around. Okay. And then on that non active, like the non playing part, piano guys call it the, the non speaking length or the passive length. They wind felt through it. Right. To dampen out any of that from affecting what you're listening to. That effect exists on a guitar headstock big time. Mm. And so you got to pay attention to that. A Fender style headstock where it's not angled back, but has a really long length of string and not much angle is that's a pretty strong contender for for having some some issues there that yeah. are undesirable. Right. Having two string trees can help that because you're you're sort of shortening that up a bit. Um, wow. You put the scrunchies yeah, up that's there, pretty right? Cool. Yeah. 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 Like you kind of do the old school thing where you tie a, tie a do rag around the headstock, <laughs> you know, that actually works pretty good. Like you see and some yeah. archtop guitar players do it on the, t between the tailpiece and the bridge. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. That, that section matters, you know, so mandolin players will put little mutes there because proportionately that length of string is super long compared to the active speaking length. So you got to mute that. Some people love the sound of it ringing. Some people don't. Mm. Kind of makes like a reverby sort of a sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My uh, my Novo Saris J, which is a has a Jazzmaster bridge on it. The uh, you know having that, it's the same thing just on the other side, and it rings like a bell 
I kind of right. like it. I think it it sort of adds to the character of the guitar. But a friend of ours, Kevin Kadish, has one, and he took little rubber grommets and just stuck it between each pair of strings on the backside yep. to dampen that down. That'll help. Twelve yeah. string yeah. guitars. Twelve string guitars can do it. It's, I mean, you got that really long headstock, and you've got a bunch of high pitched strings that are the notes you play are starting to get into the same resonance range as the notes that you would hear when those those open spans are vibrating and so they can destroy each other or do weird make weird tuning things happen wow Mm -hmm. there's a lot of interference that can happen there man this has been an education today i'm (laughs) I'm here for it this is great i like it Um, greco sg pretty cool i don't think we've seen a greco on the show before Mm -mm. no that and that looks like uh that's probably like you know lawsuit although lawsuit era gets you know that term gets thrown around a lot but um it's set neck the font looks like Gibson. Uh, it doesn't have the flower pot, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's a cool guitar. SG. Yeah. Yeah, classic. Really cool. yeah. That's cool. Make sure you use a right angle plug on your cord. So you don't but break yeah. the front of it open. You see yep. those little tears right there. The, oh all gosh, the man. I don't know how many of those I've fixed. <laughs> uh, you, know, you see somebody with a straight plug going into the front of an SG one big, you know, windmill style strum. Not, it literally breaks the whole front of the control cavity out in some of them. <laughs> Make sure you put it, do yourself a favor. It's public service announcement. Use a right angle plug on a guitar like that. <laughs> Same thing with 335s. S- yeah, oh, yeah. 335s apply wood top, so it's not going to crack as easily as an SG. Mm-hmm. An SG is usually a mahogany body and you cut the, because it's so thin, you cut the the control cavity down. So there's just a tiny little bit of wood left in right. front of that thing. And so it's a really fracture prone spot. Man, it, they break really easy. Yeah. I, I've right. seen a lot with the toggle switch nuts on there or just big metal washers or something down there. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah big armored, like a big fender washer. You know, mm-hmm. It's like the extra large diameter one with a little hole. Yeah, you know, a little armor plating <laughs> so it doesn't break, or because it already broke and you didn't want to fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put a little skid plate down there. Yeah, uh, totally. so pedal board wise, I mean, pretty straight ahead, but really good choices made here. I the Golden Fleece, that's a strong choice. I've not played the Unit sixty seven before, but here's what I like: the combination of the Belt Epoch, so you got the Echoplex style tape echo, the Flint, which I still believe is one of the greatest of all time hall of fame pedals ever made and then the deco which anytime there's a deco on a board you get bonus points for me one of the most underrated misunderstood yet greatest pedals of all time that's a that's a strong strong board right there Mm -hmm. yeah and he's he's using the orange for a lot of the breakup which is cool which is i don't know if he it does i don't know if he's using like an effects loop but i don't know if you're just using if you have your amp cooking a little bit you can run all that stuff into the front. Who cares? It's rock and roll, yeah. man. It's rock and roll. Be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I man. really like that Echoplex pedal. Actually, yeah, they're great. I, yeah. I, 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 lo- I have a deep, like a deep seated love for the original Watkins copycat, the ri- uh-huh. old Roland Space Echoes, the Echoplex. I can't run with one of them at a gig. They're just. Oh, no. I want to love it so much. Is I want to love it when it the way it's when it's working perfectly in like mm-hmm. a studio environment. Oh my gosh. It feels so good. They just, yep. they're so cool. Yep. It yep. just doesn't really always work that good. It's kind of like the memory is better than the reality. Right. Yeah. 
but that Echoplex pedal is pretty strong one for me. I, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, that that's a great one. And then the the amp, the orange, or I've not played the OR15. Big fan of that. And I like the fact that he's getting most of his gain from the amp because that's that's what you want, you know, when you're yeah. your overdrive pedal or whatever it generally is trying to sound like an amp breaking up anyway. So why not just have the amp break up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Use your volume knob. I can dig that. So all right. Only thing I would change here, yeah. I would I would switch the Velcro over to dual lock. <laughs> And I feel like we could format the board a little bit better. You know, we could we could maybe maybe even make it a little smaller, you know, make it easier to transport to and from gigs. Um, but otherwise, man, I, I really like this rig. You know, you got the single coils, you got the humbuckers, you got a good amp, you got a really good pedal selection. I'm going to give this 9.5 soils here. Oh, my gosh. It's a high rating. Wow. So, Andy, out of 10, what would you throw up at this rig? I want to know what hardware is on the guitar, which parts, which part. Okay. It's a parts caster and it's a Greco SG, but what parts? Oh yeah. Because like on that Greco, if you've got like a cat, like a cast bridge and tail piece, oh man, that's, that's just not doing it for me. Mm. You need that lightweight aluminum. Either lightweight aluminum. Yeah. That would be kind of cool. Or just a, just nicely made parts. Yeah. Mm. You know, you gotta, you gotta keep it good. There's something, I don't know if it's just a shadow in the picture, but there's something going on with the pull pieces in that bridge pickup. Yeah, I see that. I can see that. I can see that you got the neck pickup turned around the opposite direction. Uh huh. So something's been played with there. I'd, I'd love to know what those pickups are. Yeah. He said What version you're running, how they're going. I don't, uh, D and G left hand PAF in the bridge. I don't know. <laughs> and then a Gibson 57 in the, in the neck. Okay. But, and turned around. Yeah. He they said he rewired it. Thing. Yeah. Well, well, just turned around. Who knows if he flipped the magnet, uh, CTS pots rewired all with good stuff, cool. but yeah, it doesn't say anything about the hardware. And then the telly has uh, bare knuckles, but again, that looks, Oh, those are, those are good parts. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know about yeah. the, the bridge. Uh, I think it, he said it's a squire body. So it may be a squire bridge hardware. Cause with the six saddle thing that, you know, oftentimes mm-hmm. you can't just swap that cause it's kind of its own, like the, the screw placement for a three barrel telly yeah, the bridge. The sizes are different, different between <clears throat> squire and right. American. Right. Yeah. I, I bet you I could, I haven't, I've, I mean, a, a couple of those units I haven't played personally because I, I don't think I've ever owned an orange amp. I've played through a few of them. Um, I'd have to tr- run it to to really feel it, but it looks pretty solid. Looks like you're going to get through a lot of a lot of electric guitar gigs with it. Yeah, probably an eight out of ten. But yeah, you're going nice. to get there. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I, I w- he's got one more spot for a pedal right there. Let's throw yeah. something there. Put something there. You get you okay. Put something else right there. And yeah, maybe something weird. Maybe we uh, yeah, per last weird. week's episode. Maybe we go a little, a little out there. You know, you got, got you've got all your bases covered. So why not yeah. experiment? Get you a little harmonizer or something there. I don't know something weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one one thing that that I would love to see in that rig. Do you guys ever play one of the old matchless hot boxes? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god, I love that thing. I wish they. I, I wish that was a more available thing. That was a really neat piece to mm-hmm. put into a to put into a pedal board. Yeah, I mean it's kind of odd because it, right it. I don't know. Probably they're not all cheap. the money. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, jump on them now because uh, 
It, it was just a really neat sounding piece of gear. You could put it in front of all kinds of stuff. I mean, there were times that even if you were going to go direct or you're, you know, let's say you're backlining an amp and you don't know what you're going to get, you could run through one of those and get a bunch of really great sound. Kind of, oh, yeah. it, it's like a great Swiss army knife thing to go like, well, if I'm not going to take an amp on a plane, I could take this thing and whatever the backline amp is sounding like, I could probably sound pretty good mm-hmm. Yep. by having well, this. Good news is uh, there's one on eBay currently for 920 bucks. So yeah, that's not bad. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Not it's cheap. Not that bad. Not cheap. Not yeah. Not cheap. Might be worth yeah, it. Yeah, man. Might be worth yeah, it. Yeah, those are cool. I mean, it's it's a kind of an odd one because it's got its own power supply and all that. Yeah. But it was basically like a mini amp that you could shrink down and put onto a pedal board, even though it took up half your real estate. Yeah, they're huge. Yeah, I, like that. <laughs> I, I per- recently yeah. got turned on and purchased one of the uh, the old hot chili tubesters. Same kind of thing, you know. It was basically oh, a tube yeah. preamp with a power supply and everything in, yep. in one box. Considerably less expensive than that that matchless, but it's cool, man. And it's got dual outputs as well with individual volume control, so you can kind of do some interesting uh, signal routing with it too. So, uh, man, yeah, may- the, maybe the big tube preamp in a box thing should make a comeback. More companies should step into that. I think. With the power supply, mm. the built-in <laughs> power supply is a, a move. Yeah, yeah, so. it's an that's an investment. Yeah. By the time you put a transformer <laughs> in there, hmm, that's an yeah. investment. Nice. Yeah. Well, Andy, thanks so much, man. This was a, a amazing conversation, really informative and educational, and um, yeah, it, it's great getting to talk to you and and uh, kind of see where things are headed over at Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Exciting. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So that was an amazing discussion. Genuinely, I think that is the best analogy for Tonewood I've ever heard anyone say. It was amazing. Yeah. Who, who, who's, who's done that? I mean, maybe, Not, him. No. <laughs> him. He did it just yeah. now. He did it. And then also like the way he describes an acoustic guitar, I've never thought of it that way, which is like the the sound is what the sound of the acoustic guitar is what's happening around the guitar not necessarily mm-hmm. what's happening in or on the guitar. Unbelievably cool. That's a great way to think about it. And it really reshapes my way of thinking about like specifically not just miking an acoustic guitar, but getting the a good DI sound out of an acoustic. That's really cool. Yeah, it's definitely, it's like he said, it's not this simple thing that you can just like throw a cable in a DI box and, you know, boom, you're ready to go. It's a complicated thing, especially if your only frame of reference is sitting on a stool in a room listening to your guitar by itself. Um, it mm-hmm. takes a lot of work to get something mm-hmm. to sound even remotely like that in a live situation. But yeah, what a what an insightful, like well thought out, a lot of analogies that really made sense and hopefully will uh, shed a lot of light on things for people. Yeah, and it's cool that, that it's such a big company like Taylor is being run by people who are clearly incredibly knowledgeable about the instrument, but also just love the instrument. Like you can tell right. just listening to him talk like this dude loves guitar and everything about it, building them, playing them, you know, figuring out where, where the instrument's going. I mean, that's, that's really encouraging to see such a huge company in the marketplace being led by someone like that. I think that's genuinely cool. So, yeah. And, if you haven't seen Andy play, like if you just go to YouTube and, and just type in Andy 
powers playing guitar. He, the guy, the guy can rip. So like, nice. Like that's always to me like the most encouraging thing. Like it's it's something so awesome to hear someone's great opinions and thoughts and insight, but then to to see them actually put it into practice and, and show that you know, they can prove everything they're saying. That's, mm-hmm. you know, the icing on the cake. And yeah. Yeah. Cool. 100%. Cool. Cool guy. We want to thank again, our Patreons. Thank you guys. If you want to learn more about supporting the show, um, that's one of the best ways to do it. Go to the link below and check out the Patreon, check out the tiers, check out the things that, that you can get, uh, from us. And, uh, you, you have, you have more immediate access to, to pester us, which is always fun. <laughs> it's, ex- it's what we live for. <laughs> That's why That's we're right. on the internet. Uh, yeah, like we said, access to Q&A, Patreon-only Q&A, access to our Discord, early access to episodes, all that stuff is linked down below, and you are directly supporting the show. So if you dig Dipped in Tone, join us on Patreon. Also, subscribe, like we talked about. And if you're yeah. listening to us on a podcasting platform, leave us a review and a rating because that also helps new people find the show. So thank you. Absolutely. And thanks to Stumac for sponsoring this episode. Again, go to stumac.com slash dipped in tone, get 10% off your order, get those, those, uh, fretboard conditioners, get your, uh, stuff for getting those frets in order. Um, get, get your setup tools, your Allen keys. I'd like to, I'd like to offer uh, an official statement of apology. Uh, producer Jason corrected me that technically if it's fretted it is a fretboard and if it's not fretted it's a fingerboard so uh i apologize i i sincerely regret my misstatement and i am constantly working and growing and trying to become a better person a more understanding person and this is me on my journey to doing so so go clean your fretboards not your fingerboards but if you're playing a fretless instrument like a like a violin or viola you can go f- clean your fingerboards as well and stumac has or what you need to do or bass yeah, you're doing Jocko lines. It's cool. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, stumac.com. Links in the description. Thanks for sponsoring today's episode. And now it's time to shill. What are so, we? Uh, what are we shilling? Uh, do you have a physical shill? I mean, I've my, got a mine physical is physical, shill. but you show yours first. All right. So mine is a pedal. Uh, it is ooh. the new Max from Universal Audio. Mm-hmm. This is a preamp and dual compressor. Now let me tell you why I think this is cool. If you've been following me online for a while, you know I'm not a huge fan of like always on compression for guitar players, especially if you're using some kind of overdrive or an overdriven amp. I think always on compression is uh, a crutch for a lot of players, unless it's a specific sound, like it's a specific thing you're going for, a la Corey Wong or or any player like that. But compression is a really useful and valuable tool for guitar players for a multitude of reasons. What's cool about this is it's one of the only Actually, I think this is the only compressor pedal I've seen that is an 1176 and an LA-2A. If you don't know what those are, those are two classic compressors, outboard hardware recording compressors, really great circuits. They're in studios all over the world, and there's two of them. So why do you want two of them in series? Well, this is coming, again, from the studio and recording world. A lot of times for things like vocals or drums or anything that requires compression, you'll actually run two compressors. There's a lot of different things you can do um, that, that you know, create great, big, uh, beautiful sounds utilizing these, two, uh, these tools. And it's cool that they've put two in here. So you can go 1176 into LA-2A or the other way around or, or whatever. Um, the other cool thing is there is a preamp here based off of the uh, UA610 preamp, really famous mic pre. So this is a really powerful 
tool, not just for guitar, but because it's also stereo in and out. If you're interested in getting into mixing and maybe using some outboard gear, like a pedal for mixing, this is a really, really cool uh, pedal and it sounds great. Now they did give this to me. I didn't pay for it, but you know, they're not sponsoring the show or, or anything like that. I just genuinely really dig it. So there you go. I, I like the look of it. I like the blue with the red yeah. knob and the silver box and the gray knobs. Yeah, they really nailed the aesthetic of this one for sure. The, their cool. whole their pedals just like man, they look expensive, <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're nice. Uh, but I think I think that's a cool thing. So my shill actually texted it to to you, and it's oh, just the yeah. Okay, pull it up. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's my photo with Adam. So we'll wow. throw it on the screen now. Wow. Um, and uh, we did have to, you know, I did have to pay for that, you know, because it's like he's not doing this stuff for free. Uh, Man's got to make a living. Lives in San yeah. Francisco for Christ's sake. And that was super cool. So it lined up and it was funny. Like there's all these like celebrities, like, you know, voice actors and all these people there. And like the line for Adam was, it was insane. It was insane. And it was just a, hey, how's it going? Take a picture. All right, bye. <laughs> like That's all it was. But um, I want to frame it and hang it in my office. <laughs> yeah, it's a great picture. <laughs> It's, so. It genuinely is a great picture. And also, it's a nice watch you got on there, Zach. Oh, shoot. Spicy watch. <laughs> Uh-oh. Spicy watch. Spicy watch. Well, <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. Remember to like, subscribe, do all the things. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. We'll see you all.